0: Welcome to another episode of the Giant Take Podcast. And this episode isn't like any other episode because we are done with the off season. It's our first preview to a game since last season, obviously, because we did have the podcast going last season, but we we're really excited. The offseason is out the window. It's done. It's over. Uh, we had the 53-man roster episode last episode and a special interview with Kenny Albert then. And we were right back, back to back you know, banger banger and banger um, podcast here with another very special guest of I and Eagle, uh, which you will hear in a little bit. Yes. Brooklyn Nets play by play, CBS, NFL, uh, with Charles Davis and many other stuff. We get into it. Really fun interview with him and we hope to speak with him again in the future. But yes, Giants, Broncos, Sunday, four twenty five. Alex, how are you?
1: Football is back, and I am very excited. Uh Thursday Night Football, today when you're listening to this, I'll be watching, excited for that, hopefully the Cowboys get crushed, Sunday, Red Zone, till 425, and then Giants, and then Sunday Night Football, and then Monday Night Football, and then Thursday Night Football for the Giants again, it's gonna be a grind, it's gonna be great, um, but I'm excited, and excited to get into it, uh, for today's episode, and we'll also, uh, we'll, I think we'll have an episode out right on Monday morning, hopefully for depending on whatever happens right because we don't really know uh, josh is going away this weekend so it's gonna be <laughs> tough but we'll but, see but that's the aim that's the aim that's but, the aim
0: for but, monday morning and don't worry because giants fans i'm going away but you know who's coming back sunday morning because they need to see the giants on their tv live and in person we're not watching this on no recording alex 425 yeah. i'm gonna be sitting on the couch or outside by the fire pit, whatever uh, my dad and I choose to do. And it's going to be a father-son magical experience as the Giants get absolutely obliterated by the (laughs) defensive line of the Broncos. Yes, I'm saying it already. Um, But you know what? We're going to sit back. We're going to relax until the second quarter. Like Maybe I'll relax for like the kickoff, and that's about it. I don't even know if I'll be relaxed for the kickoff. But uh, yes, I will be back in time for the game, and I will be back to hopefully record Sunday night as long as we're not crying or dead inside. It's one of the two. Um, But yeah, no, Alex, I mean, I'm excited, and uh, let's get into it because we do have some stuff to talk about in the intro first, and obviously, we got to give our predictions to this game.
1: Yes. So, getting into it now. Today is Wednesday, September 8th, as we're recording this in the evening here, or early evening here. Given the exact specifics, um, today's practice we have the details. Evan Ingram did not pla- uh, did not practice. Uh, looks like will not did will not play. WNP will not play, um, and uh, he was out. And then for the limited uh, people at practice, Saquon Barkley limited, Kenny Galladay limited, Justin Hillard limited, Dory Jackson limited, Josh Jackson limited, Kyle Rudolph limited. Danny Shelton Limited, Caden Smith Limited, Andrew Thomas Limited, and Kadarius Tony Limited. Uh, a majority of those guys should be playing. Um, you know, Adore Jackson, we saw he's running around. He's doing well. Uh, Kyle Rudolph should be available. Caden Smith, we're not sure. Andrew Thomas, Kadarius Tony. we have some good news on that. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, and uh, hopefully Saquon Barkley gets his start. It was reported uh, earlier in the week by... Uh, Mr. Rappaport there that uh, he will be playing most likely week one. We'll see. Uh, They said Thursday or Friday. We'll know. So we'll probably know maybe a few hours after today's episode came out or uh, maybe a day or so after. Um, And we'll talk about it in the recap if he does play, hopefully uh, after a Giants win. And uh, that's it for the injury update side of things there. Uh, for the Giants in today's practice, um, we'll get to the Kadarius Tony stuff first, actually, because I kind of want to talk about it. So Kadarius Tony, um, Joe Judge came out. He talked about how he should have a significant role this weekend, which is interesting. Not you, Judge doesn't usually say anything like that specific, so he may have a significant role this you know this Sunday. I think that'll be exciting. Finally, getting to see him in action. And, uh, in interviews with Tony, he said he is good to play Sunday. Um, and, uh, we'll see if he's right about that. So it sounds like Kadarius Tony will be suiting up for the giants in that weird number 89 that he really needs to change to number 17 because it's available. Um, and let's see, I'll do one more thing and then we could stop and take a breather and talk about everything. Nate Ebner has resigned with the giants. Josh is loving it. Special teams forever. CJ board moved to the practice squad. Who's the kick returner now? I don't know. I think CJ board will probably be brought up from the practice squad. If I were to guess, um, and made the kick returner, if not, you could see peppers, you could see John, uh, probably not John Ross. I-, I don't know who the hell you're going to see returning kicks. You may see Daniel Jones returning kicks, who knows? Um, but yeah, that is our uh, final bit here before we take a nice little breather.
0: You're going to see Jabril Peppers returning kicks. You got it here. My bold take. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, no, I think uh, Peppers will be returning kicks. Not really a question mark on that. You do have all of the sites putting out their final rankings when it comes to defensive, when it comes to power rankings. So let's do it as we always do. And here, NFL.com's final power rankings before the season starts. The New York Giants slotted one lower, higher. I don't know how you want to talk about it. I would say one lower than they were. Nope, one higher than they were last time. I don't know how you're going to say it. They were ranked 24. Last time they were ranked 23. Now, I don't know how you want to say lower or higher, but in my in my eyes, this is not a good thing. As we're back one, I think it's because of the offensive line struggles. But you know what? Let's let the haters doubt us. I don't care about the outside media. All I care about is the Giants media who give us all their updates for the uh, all our updates for the podcast that we get to talk about on here and our mindsets as Giants fans, there's going to be some rough stuff happening on that field. This is their first game, first real game, right? This is where it means something. Obviously, they're still trying their hardest in the preseason games. The young guys are trying to get their spots on the roster, but this is it. So we're going to see some bad stuff on offense. We're going to see probably the offensive line, like I said, completely slip up. Someone's going to miss their block. A wide receiver is not going to know what route to, you know, Daniel Jones is going to throw a deep route when the the player actually is going to do an in-cut. We're going to see that. And on defense, we might see, you know, a player drop a ball here and there. We might see, uh, you know, a guy maybe not pick up his marker, a linebacker not pick up his tight end. You know, we'll have to wait and see. But just know that is the first game. I know these are NFL. These are professionals making millions, but you got to let them sink in and I do have to say Alex that if it is a team that you want to face in this week one where you can kind of take a minute to adjust the Broncos is that team because if we are not playing well that is okay because you would assume that the Broncos won't be playing much better and that we can bounce back in the second half after maybe a rough first half turn on the jets and we can run right past these Denver Broncos cuz I just think that uh it's you know it's not one of these top tier you know teams in this league where if we really do play poorly, we can still get away with a win.
1: Yeah, um, I agree with you. In terms of the offensive line, obviously we got the news that Nate Soldier was listed as the starting right tackle over Matt Pert, And I might be in the very minor, minor, minor minority here, but I like the decision. I feel like Pert is not ready yet. You know, obviously he's had a year to sit. You know, I, I just don't think we're starting with some very tough edge rushers starting week one, you know, Bradley Chubb, Von Miller, you know, others if they're going to play. We'll talk about that later as well. And next week with Chase Young, etc. I, I just don't think it's worth it to risk Daniel Jones this early on. Nate Soldier, maybe he's not the best anymore. Maybe he's a terrible offensive lineman, but I think he has the experience. It's worth putting him in. We have very little experience on this offensive line, and having someone with that veteran experience is extremely important, I feel like. So having him start, I think, is the right decision at right tackle, which is interesting since he has not played there in his entire career. Um, but yeah, Nate Soldier will be the starter at right tackle. And, uh, and some I'm, other... yeah.
0: Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, Alex, you didn't give me the time to speak there. I was just going to say that uh, I, I know you were saying that parrot is supposedly not ready but like you just mentioned at the end there it's interesting because soldier has had about a year off a little bit over that so we'll have to see how he slots in there at right tackle go ahead
1: yeah and another tackle was added to the giants roster on the practice squad uh cory cunningham uh, offensive tackle very much a backup worst case scenario option there for the giants Uh, And DB Jordan Peters and Kenny Wiggins were cut from the practice squad as well. So that kind of rounds out the practice squad changes there. Um, And some number news. We'll talk about that because it's really not that important. Ellerson Smith changes his number to 94. And Carter Coughlin changes his number to 52. uh, More of an inside linebacker number. And uh, the Giants did some cap moves here. So I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Um, because you know I'm the cap guy here. Not I'm not gonna go too far into it because it's gonna bore people out. But listen, Giants-
0: do what you need to do. <laughs> do
1: what you need to do. Go into it, Alex. The Giants turned the base uh, or a portion of the base salary from uh, Logan Ryan and Sterling Shepard's contracts into signing bonuses for next year um, to create the cap room because I believe we were about five million under the cap or over the cap, uh, which now with this. Uh, these two moves, and then we also did something with Josh Jackson that saves us about 400k. Um, it kind of rounded it out now, so we're getting closer there. I believe it was around 3 million uh, that we converted from Ryan, and about 2 million from Shepherd, or maybe the other way around. I'm I'm, I'm mixing it up, maybe, but uh, yeah. So that that happened, which means the cap for next year will be affected a bit. The cap this year, you know, the Giants are not in a great way in the cap situation. Um, You know, I know we kind of talked about how Dave Gettleman kind of got us out of cap hell uh, from Jerry Reese, but I think we're starting to get into a bit of a cap issue here uh, when a lot of these teams around us uh, are projected to have a lot more cap space that maybe are better than us already.
0: And Alex, I mean, let's talk about it. If we're in a bit of a cap space situation, it won't be Dave Gettleman if we have a poor season that'll most likely be figuring that out next offseason as he will. Yeah. He will most likely be fired if we're in that case. Obviously, um, you know, hopefully it doesn't get to that point. But it's going to be funny if uh, Dave Gettleman, all these moves this past offseason, we don't make the playoffs. And the Mara, you know, John Mara is not pleased. He decides, let's pull the trigger, gets rid of Gettleman. We're going to have to bring another GM here to deal with Dave Gettleman's uh, moves, slot, uh, you know, additions, and um, obviously, obviously cap room difficulties there. A little bit background information on this Cade Cunningham guy that we added onto the practice squad. He has played two seasons with New England, one season for Arizona, uh, and in total has started 18, or no, played in 18 games, I guess, started in six of them. Um, And that's how that works. Obviously, like Alex said, a backup situation, a backup role with the team, and we most likely won't see him a lot. Although, uh, a player that I'm not going to lie, I feel like we might see more than we think. And that is Ben Bredesen, who will most likely be backing up at both guard positions. Obviously, we traded for him, which I guess already shows that he will be, you know, a, a big addition to this team. Now, I don't think he will start. I think Lemieux and Hernandez are guaranteed starters, but the Lemieux struggles are real. I'll, I'll say that. And um, I, I assume he will not play. Um, you know, he if he... Sorry. Sorry. I, I got to think about this for a second. If he does not play well, we might see Bredesen earlier than later uh, in this Broncos game. Alex, I know you're a big offensive line guy. You kind of lead that on this podcast. I, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that and on Bredesen if he replaces um, Lemieux in this
1: game? I think Bredesen is the better offensive lineman as of right now. I think you put him in there. Shane, I've never been a huge Shane Lemieux fan. The Giants organization is a fan, though. I do know that because uh, otherwise they would have made another move. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think Bredesen probably does start um, if Shane Lemieux is not healthy for this game uh, or if Shane Lemieux starts playing very badly uh, throughout the game. So, yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, and, and the team captains here. I also want to discuss this. Um, the team captains were announced. Daniel Jones, Nick Gates, Graham Gano, Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, Blake Martinez and Saquon Barkley. Um, so those will be the team captains for this Giants season. Here, obviously, player voted uh, and all decided by that. Uh, so cool that you know all those guys are captains. And I know uh, Jabril Peppers put out a tweet saying he was honored to uh, be a captain this year. Um, and I'm I'm a, I'm happy with the selection. Um, but uh, that's it for our like Giants portion of it. We're gonna do we're gonna do some scouting. Okay, we're gonna do some <laughs> scouting. We're we're, we're 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 we've dived into the film. We're going in. The Broncos, let's talk about them. So Bradley Chubb has been a huge conversation point. Uh, So Chubb's week one availability versus the Giants is in jeopardy due to two things. Uh, He has an injured ankle, which has been slow to come around. And he also was briefly detained on a warrant uh, yesterday. So I don't know what's going on. Uh, Is he going to play? Is he not? Josh has more for us.
0: I I do have more for you, and that is Bradley Chubb, who is a player who, um, let's just say, wasn't the best time for him to to go and, and get detained. I don't say I don't know if there's any good time for this to happen, but I, I just think that um, you know, at, at the time, five days before you're playing in a game, hopefully, uh, you know that that uh, that's not so good. So basically, um, before this, it seemed like they were actually, they meaning the Denver Broncos, were confident in him and another uh, actual big player on this team. Their starting tight end, Noah Fant, who was questionable with a leg injury, um, and also Bradley Chubb, who was questionable going into this game. I don't know exactly what for, but um, they were both questionable, and the Broncos came out and said, oh, they're most likely going to play. Now, obviously, this is only detained. Uh, This isn't getting arrested, getting put in jail. So the odds that he does play this game is, I would say, 50-50. I don't want to go like ahead of myself or behind. So I would just say 50-50 because the NFL could go ahead and suspend him uh, if they felt need be. Uh, But anyway, uh, Chubb was detained in Douglas County, Colorado, Tuesday due to an outstanding warrant issued for a failure to appear in court for traffic violations. He was charged on May 6th in air. Airpaho County, uh, which is where the Broncos practice facility is located and adjacent to the Douglas County to Douglas County for traffic misdemeanors. Chubb has been charged with driving under restraint, which means operating a vehicle with a license that is suspended revoked or restrained, as well as for having license plates that have been expired for more than 60 days. So Bradley Chubb, get on your shit, man. Like what is going on here? We, you know, we're, we're going uh, with these license plates that are rolled with these driver's license that are, that are old and need to be renewed? I don't understand why we, why we can't just get this done, man. This guy's a multimillionaire and he can't get his license renewed. Obviously, there could be some stuff behind this. I don't know. Um, But yeah, the Broncos said in a statement, quote, we are aware of the matter, which was related to an unresolved traffic citation that has now been addressed. Thank you, Broncos. Appreciate it. Uh, Chubb had off-season ankle surgery in May and had been held out of practice last week after the Broncos coach Vic Fangio said Chubb tweaked his other ankle now. So not so good. Uh, but Chubb practiced with the team Monday and participated in all team meetings. So it seems like Bradley Chubb will be available week one, although I don't know, but he is definitely in jeopardy. That's all I have to say.
1: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens with them. Um, you know, Chubb, I I think he'll play. Uh, there was just a report actually that came out that what, during the Broncos practice, uh, they had some issue. Uh, Bradley Chubb actually went to the side during the linebacker drills, so that was interesting. Um, but besides that, I think that's it. Uh, I'm going to go into one last thing here. The Broncos look suspect in their kicking game, according to a lot of scouts, including to scout you know, the scout myself, uh, You know, a tremendous scout here. Uh, they look suspect in the kicking game in preseason, something that maybe the Giants can take advantage of. I think the most important thing that the Giants can do in this game is to establish the run early, open up the passing and the play option, play action for Daniel Jones later on in the game. And, uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it for kind of a couple things that uh, I wanted to point out there. So we're going to do, yes.
0: I'm raising my hand like I'm in school, Alex, on this video screen. So you can see that I would like to just say, this special teams, this is not no BS thing we're, we're talking about here. We're going to yet a second season with Joe Judge, the former wide receiver and special teams coach for the New England Patriots. That is going in to be the head coach of the Giants team that has recruited now two players, as you mentioned, Alex. I don't know if this is on recording or off recording. This is off recording. Two players that are now on the roster, mainly four special teams. Now, Keon Cross in the cornerback could very much get game time, and I expect him to because uh, I'm sure we will have some cornerback issues when it comes to injuries, and he might have to step up. And now we have Nate Ebner kicking CJ Board off this 53 man roster. He's on the practice squad. It's okay. But I feel bad for Board, man. He's had an up and down last two weeks on practice squad, off practice squad, on practice squad, off practice squad, probably twice, I think. Um, so listen, I feel bad for him. But yeah, JoJo is just taking up two of these roster spots, mainly for special teams so it better be good so yeah if we're like the, you know i don't want any playing around i don't want any bad kicks bad field goals or um i don't want any guys missing their blocks uh you know on these returns so yeah that, that's all i gotta say okay that, that, that that's all i gotta say so if the broncos have having some kicking issues let's let's uh block a kick or something like that or have them miss i don't know Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that, that's my thoughts on that. And then Alex, I just have two, two points for you, uh, before we go to our, what, I guess our giant take as we're going to call it now, because apparently someone told me just before this, that they didn't like the three points I did last season before every game, but didn't say anything about it. And was very also talkative during those three points. But yet Alex said, Oh, I hated it. It So nice. So now instead just like the title of this podcast, it's going to be called The Giant Take. We're going to have a giant take uh, on this game. Whatever it is, you'll hear it. I want. I have two questions. Kadarius Tony so now, Kadari now is going to supposedly have a big impact in this game. How many receptions will he have, Alex? How many carries do you see Saquon Barkley getting in his run-up to 100%? Those are my two questions.
1: So we're doing questions. I thought I was just going to bring it up and then... Myself and then make one. I'm not sure if I like your questions, but I will answer them. Kadarius Tony, how many yards is that? What what I'm great what?
0: listening. You're really doing well. You're really doing well. And that's yeah. why
1: we're. That's why I record podcasts and don't listen to them.
0: No one's laughing at your joke. It's not funny.
1: Oh, that was funny. This is
0: not good listening either heading into school tomorrow, so you you better be listening tomorrow. But anyway, how many receptions for Kadarius Tony, Alex? Two. And how many rushes for Saquon Barkley in his recovery process?
1: Five.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, You you got your final points now because we got to throw it to the interview soon. I I don't want everyone waiting here forever.
1: All right. So my couple of bold predictions, the Giants' defense – will let up over 300 yards, rushing and passing. And Daniel Jones will have no interceptions or fumbles, no turnovers. Those are my two bold takes there.
0: Thank you for leading into my point exactly, Alex, and is that Daniel Jones will very well have a turnover. And there is no reason why he shouldn't have a turnover because it's Daniel Jones. And I doubt him way too much because I feel that he is bad. Um, let's be honest, Alex, you know, we saw probably the worst, uh, career interception that Daniel Jones ever had throwing to a receiver in the end zone, except it was a player on the opposite team and was not a receiver. So, uh, yeah, that was bad against the Patriots anyway. So I think he will throw a pick. Uh, I think they have just too good of a, you know, mix with safeties and cornerbacks with uh kyle fuller now ronald darby's there uh as well as don't they have don't they, didn't they get uh certain in the draft or am i wrong about that you let me know alex i'm sure you're not even listening to me so thank you yes so certain
1: yes certain yes yeah. they did uh-huh. i was i'm a good listener
0: yeah okay, I'm I'm very disappointed in you right now. Anyway, then Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons obviously are the free safety, so no reason why Daniel Jones shouldn't throw a pick. That's one. Next thing, I trust in Kadarius Tony, so that's why I was asking the question because I think Kadarius Tony, Alex, better listen up here, bud. We'll have over a hundred receiving yards. Yes, yes, it's a bolt. It's giant takes. It's giant takes. That's my giant take. I'm ready now to wrap this up and head to the interview, Alex. That's it. I'm not even letting you speak. Um, do we want to have an outro? This will be our outro, right?
1: This will be the outro for the episode. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to this episode 110. Make sure to go follow us on Twitter at the Giant Take Pod. Go check out the podcast on shipitstudios.com/slash the Giant Take. Um, and make sure to do all that good stuff. Give us five stars rating and review. And, uh, please, <laughs> that was really weird. And, uh, hope everyone enjoys the interview with Ian Eagle. Follow me at a 23, follow Josh at Josh solo 29 or something like that. I believe so. Josh solo 29. I don't usually do this and, uh, we'll see you next time with another Giants. First Giants game of this 2021 season recap. <laughs>
0: So we are now joined by a very special guest. He's the TV play-by-play voice for the Brooklyn Nets as well as the NBA games on TNT. He's also the TV play-by-play voice for the NFL on CBS alongside Charles Davis. And you can also hear him for NCAA college basketball March Madness, especially that's where it uh, that's where all the grind happens. Uh, for <laughs> Mister Iron Eagle, how are you
2: doing? Hey, great to see you guys, Josh. Alex, nice to be on with you. Everything's great. I mean, what could be bad? We're just days away from this season getting underway. I know you guys are excited and this is always uh, a really fun time just paying attention to the league and getting into the mindset that we got the next, how many, five months and change to really break down the NFL. So everything's great. Thank you.
1: Yeah, and obviously NFL, and then uh, later in the year, uh, we'll have basketball back as well. So that's exciting. Um, And I know that's going to be exciting for you as well. Um, I guess we'll get into going backwards a little bit. We always do this with people kind of go back into the past, start from the beginning, uh, (laughs) (laughs) try to figure people out. Um, So, you know, obviously your father worked in the entertainment business. Uh, And how did that kind of affect you and like inspire you to go into that business as well? Obviously a little bit different um, types of roles, but how'd that uh, affect you?
2: Yeah, we're going way back. Way back. I I got to get like deep, deep into the recesses of my mind. It affected everything. It set a tone in my life that not doing the normal nine to five thing would be acceptable within my family and when that's ingrained in you in a young age you really think that the possibilities are endless so my dad was a comedian musician actor my mom was a singer and an actress and that's the only life i knew from the day i was put on this earth until the day my mom passed away and my dad passed away that's that's the life that that i was familiar with and that seemed normal, even though I know from my friends and the people that I got to know as a kid, that was anything but normal in their particular lives. And for me, when I told them that I wanted to be a broadcaster, they were so encouraging. And that empowered me to go out and do it. I was only eight years old when I knew what I wanted to do. And I articulated it to both of them. And they both said, well, then that's what you'll do. So when it was that matter of fact, it seemed very attainable, and I was able to really put my focus on going out and and trying to make it as a broadcaster and not worry about the family reaction of, no, be a lawyer, be a doctor, do anything else. Uh, they, They were very supportive in that, and I think that really paved the way for me thinking in a positive manner and believing that I could actually go out and achieve it.
0: I have I have a uh, another question here that is I don't want to call it like a softball but <laughs> I'm sure you either it's either the answer of you know there's not a specific and it's every single one that I love but I do have to ask the question of is there a favorite sport that you that you do love to call and it like really is in your heart
2: I don't know if I could answer it definitively because I really don't have that answer I've been doing these two sports for so long that They very much are a part of my day-to-day life. I think about the NFL and I think about the NBA every single day of the year in some way. College basketball flashes in and it dominates my calendar for a period of time. And then for the most part, I turn it off and then I get back into the mindset for it when it's time to, to get refocused. But football and basketball are just dominant parts of my existence. And if you put me in a football stadium to call a big NFL game or to do a radio game, I have the same energy, enthusiasm, and passion as I would going in to call a big NBA game or a midweek NBA game locally, nationally, whatever it might be. And then the NCAA tournament, I must say, uh, that brings it to this other level, because there's so much work involved. There's so much preparation. And the way I've always viewed it, I've done the tournament since 1998. So we're talking about 24 NCAA tournaments, albeit, as we know, 2020 didn't happen. So 23 total tournaments, 24 year period, where it was a thought in my mind every March. I take a lot of pride in making sure that The kids, the players, they're 18, 19, 20, 21, sometimes a little older than that, that they get their just due, that they've gotten to this stage, which is for many of them, the biggest stage they'll ever be on. And I just want to make sure that I tell their story correctly. And while that might sound or feel a bit cliche, I do feel that sort of pressure in my mind when I do these games that their family is watching that one day they'll watch this game back with their kids or their grandkids. And the hope is that the announcer was on top of it and did a really good job of telling that story and being a conduit for the kind of drama that you get in those moments to the audience. And it goes down in history. These NCAA tournaments to me means something every year somebody else emerges that you didn't expect. And you want to make sure that, that you're doing yeoman's work in that area and that you've got it covered.
0: I also wanted to ask you because uh, Alex and I attended the sports broadcasting camp hosted by Dave Popkin and Tim capture where you, where you spoke. And, you know, I don't remember the story and that's why I want you to retell it because I really just remember the funniest part where I believe you were talking about when you called your first, Boxing match, I think. And um the person you were calling it with when you when you told them you were having lunch with them and you told them, Yeah, this is this is my first time, and he thought you were joking. Do Do you know what I'm talking about?
2: Yeah, so that's under the umbrella of saying yes, of getting into that mentality of if someone offers you something, don't hesitate, don't overthink it, don't overanalyze it, say yes and then do everything in your power to prepare yourself to go out and do it. So I've had that a few times in my career where I've done sports that I hadn't done before. Obviously, when you're doing it for the first time, golf, first time I ever called golf, I was at the masters and it was the first golf event I ever attended. And for many people, I recognize the idea of just going to the masters would be a lifelong dream come true. And for me, I was working the event and I had to familiarize myself and make sure that I was prepared. Track and field, same situation. Had never been to a track and field event. Ended up calling track and field the outdoor championships in the NCAA for eight years until CBS lost the rights to ESPN. Tennis, same deal. Volleyball, on and on. So boxing, uh, I got a phone call in 2000. It was right after my third NCAA tournament. So 98, 99, 2000, I had done now two NFL seasons. And the woman that called me said, uh, Hey, Ian, you do boxing, right? So that's a bit of a leading question. I said, Oh yeah, yeah. I do the hell out of boxing. You kidding me? Great. We've got four fights for you. And I went out to Vegas to call the first fight. I called the producer, told him, Hey, send me whatever you got. This is back when we had VHS tapes. And he sent me 60 hours of boxing coverage from CBS from previous years. And I poured through the tapes and I started jotting down notes, vocabulary, nomenclature, uh, how you use certain terms, all of it and studied the sport. I was a fan of boxing. So I had a working knowledge and I go into Vegas. I'm getting ready for the fight. It's Obed Sullivan against David Tua and my boss, who happened to be in Vegas completely unrelated to the boxing match for a convention said, Hey, I want to take you to lunch. So we go to lunch and uh, he had a chicken Caesar salad. I had chicken wings. I don't eat very well. I eat like a 12 year old. And as he's eating his lunch at the MGM grand, he said, well, tell me about your boxing experience. And I said, well, Terry, his name is Terry Ewert. I said, Terry, I've never called a fight. He said, really? And I said, Terry, look, let's let's just be honest here. I've never been to a fight. And now I see little beads of sweat forming above his lip. And he said, really? And a little more concerned in his The first really was inquisitive. Really? Second really was more like, really? And then I said, Terry, I've never been in a fight. So I have no background in any of this, which wasn't completely true in fifth grade. Somehow I ended up having to fight some kid. I still don't know why I had no beef with him. But I was told during the day, like at noon, hey, I heard you're fighting James Schnaff at three o'clock. I'm like, really? Am I? I didn't get the memo. I had no idea. And I had to fight the guy after school. And I threw a punch. I closed my eyes. I was wearing large, thick winter gloves. I connected. He went down. I walked home. I got a slice of pizza. Anyway, I call the fight. (laughs) The fight ends up going two minutes and 38 seconds in the first round, but we called an undercard, which was a 12 round fight. And after the fight, Terry came out of the broadcast truck and said, were you joking with me? I'm, I cleaned it up a little bit. I said, no, I I wasn't joking. That was the first one. So it really is under the, the whole theme that I said, yes when I was asked about it, I said yes. And it gave me a new experience. I ended up calling four fights for CBS. I had some other opportunities down the road. I couldn't make it work in my schedule with another network that was interested in using me. And the fact of the matter is if I don't say yes, then I never get that chance. And if you never get that chance, you never find out if you can actually go do it.
1: So obviously you prepared a lot more for uh, your first time doing uh, boxing coverage, but with MBA with NFL, what's the process like for preparing? Obviously, it's different with the NBA because you have a limited time to prepare compared yeah. to the NFL where you have the whole week, uh, usually in most circumstances where NBA you have a day or two. Um, how, how do you prepare differently for each of those events?
2: Yeah, great question. Uh, NFL, you're building towards an event. So each day, you're chipping away. My goal on Monday is to put my previous week's game behind me, turn the page and start to really get the skeleton of the board that I will use for each team. My week one game is Buffalo and Pittsburgh. So Monday of that game, I'll start filling in some of the blanks. Who's where, starting offense, backup offense, starting defense, backup defense, And then as the week goes on, I'm still accumulating notes each day for each team, and I'm doing it in a very general way. And then by Friday, I start to hone in and try to get those larger notes into a smaller type of folder so that I can now digest it and present it when I need it. And it's a lot of notes, but not all of it makes air. Saturday is more of the personal connection with the team, talking to the coach, talking to players, and then using those notes to enhance the broadcast on Sunday, personalizing it in some way. We spoke with Coach Tomlin. He told us this. We sat down with Josh Allen. He mentioned this, trying to go beyond what's been in the newspaper all week or on websites and get a little bit more specific with the matchup, with the storylines. And then Sunday, obviously, you got to let it rip. And all the prep that you did, it's a combination of your preparation and your performance. And you've got to be able to combine and marry those two worlds. If you've prepared well, it allows you to perform better. If you have not prepared well, odds are your performance is going to suffer because you don't really know your stuff. And vice versa. If you don't perform well, your preparation means very little. You could have all the information, but if you're not presenting it in a way that can be understood by the audience, then you're not doing your job. So I try to remind myself of that every week with the NFL. You're building towards this big event and then you get three hours and you get no do-overs. You get one take on these calls. That's it. So you've got to be sharp. You've got to be highly immersed in what you're doing and your concentration level has to be at an all-time high every week no matter what's happening in your life whether you got a good night's sleep whether your kid is sick whether you had a bad seatmate on your flight nobody cares nobody's concerned they're only concerned about the participants in that game are you identifying them correctly and are you doing a good job of conveying the drama and emotion in the game that you're covering? That's your job. That's it. So that's how I I focus in on football basketball. It's a bit more superfluous. I'm doing the Nets game. So I've got a board that I've done and I update throughout the season with the Nets, but the general information What year is the player in? What college did he go to? What's his height? What's his weight? What's his age? What's his hometown? What year was he drafted? What draft pick was he? How was he acquired by the team? All of that is basic rudimentary stuff. Then you delve deeper. Scouting report. What does he like to do? What's his reputation in the league? How much money does he make? What are his shooting percentages that season for his career? All of it. College career. Go deeper. High school career. Is there more? I'm always looking for more. It's all about in-depth, going beyond the obvious. And that, I've gotten down to a science. You know, I, I could probably do one team based on the information that I've collected through the years and new information that I'm updating. I can probably knock out one team, that general information, in four hours or so give or take, depending on the team. So now you have to budget your time in the week when I've got three NBA games and two NFL games, because I often do a Thursday game on radio. You've got to be really smart in how you compartmentalize and how you balance your schedule through the week. Every waking moment that I have to prepare, I use. That's how I view it. That's part of the job. And if you're not doing it that way and you can sleep, soundly on saturday night before your game more power to you i would not be able to i need to know that i've got every stone covered and nothing has been left unturned when it's time to do the game
0: so kind of alluding to what you were saying because you were going uh on to that already um is your talking points you know when it comes to NFL versus NBA, there's the 15 man roster in the NBA. There's a 53 man roster in the yep. NFL. When you're talking about, you know, kind of saying at, at a Nets game, Nick Claxton, he's gonna he's gonna play. He won't have any as many minutes as a Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, but he's gonna right. play. So let's get two or three talking points on there. Say where he was born or you know where he went to high school. Where this third string backup left tackle. He maybe comes in if the starting left tackle, unfortunately, gets injured, but most likely he won't come in. So how many talking points when it comes hmm. to that? Like, do you have just two or three bullet points and kind of narrow that down? Like, how, how does that work with how many talking points you have for each player? All
2: right, let's take uh, the Giants as an example. I believe this is a team close to both of your hearts. Is that it's a, a it's fair perfect, assessment?
0: Perfect example. You're, you're right on the dot.
2: Right on the dot. So Daniel Jones how many nuggets will I have on Daniel Jones for a given game on my main board? I could have up to 15 different notes on Daniel Jones. I might use two on my secondary board. I might have nine more, more stat specific or matchup specific for Andrew Thomas. I might have 12 notes. The odds of me going with 12 notes for a starting tackle are slim to none. A backup tackle, I might have four notes just in case. And it's a fear, and I don't know where it stems from, but it's a fear that I had early in my career that I did not want to be put in a position that a player enters the game and I've got nothing. So... While I accept that it's requiring more time of me during the week for the 53rd, 52nd, 51st, 50th, 49th, 48th man on the roster to make sure that I've done my due diligence and gotten three, four, five nuggets on them, I sleep better at night knowing that I did. That if that occurrence takes place, as you said, third string lineman has to come in, what do I have? Well, I've got the basics, that goes without saying. Because everybody's covered on height, weight, age, years in the league, college, what year they were drafted, all of that. But can you go a little deeper? Do you find something from their high school days? Do you find something uh, that their parents did? Do you find something connected to them in some way? And that's where I think broadcasters can separate themselves from other broadcasters. Is it dead air or do you have something of value? that would be of interest to the viewer. And that's how I've always tried to tackle it.
1: So looking back in the past, do you have like a favorite uh, favorite game you've called? Um, I guess one from the NFL and one from the NBA, maybe even one from March Madness. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure. There are games that stand out in my career that uh, are embedded in my head that certainly made a mark. And I look back on and realized I was really fortunate to be there in that position. Uh, NBA Finals, uh, I don't know if you guys ended up watching the, the Michael Jordan documentary during the pandemic. It was impressive. It was well done. And I was fortunate enough to call the world feed on the NBA Finals for a bunch of years. And one of them was that Nets, Nets, I, I wish, the Bulls Jazz Series, when Jordan hit the shot over Brian Russell in Salt Lake City, and I was calling that game on on a world feed. So the game went to the United Kingdom and Israel and Indonesia, Philippines, different areas around the world. And that game was incredible, Uh, just the shift in emotion and the high level of play with Stockton and Malone and Jordan hitting the game-winning shot, which ended up being his final shot as a member of the Chicago bulls. So history uh, as well. And to think back on that and to be in this in attendance to, to call that one meant a whole lot. NCA tournament, again, the world feed, I called the NCA championship for Butler Duke Gordon Hayward had a chance to win the game with a half court shot against Duke. I don't, I don't believe for a second that anything would have been considered a greater upset than that in college basketball history, NC state beating, Houston, huge. Villanova, Georgetown, huge. Butler over Duke would have been right there with them. And if the game ended on a half-court shot by Hayward in Indianapolis, his basically hometown, Butler's located there, and they beat Duke, one of the top programs of all time, It to me, it would have been maybe the greatest ending in college basketball history. So it was that close, but it was a fantastic game to call. It was another high-level game and one that, that really stands out. NFL, I, I think it's still to come. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe I've done it yet. I believe there will be a game that, that becomes the game for me. You know, I've called so many Tom Brady games. I've called so many Peyton Manning games. My first game for CBS, NFL, was Peyton Manning's first game. As a professional, so to usher in that career, Hall of Fame career, and to do it in my first broadcast was very memorable. Uh, but I think there's an NFL game down the road that'll probably go down as my favorite.
0: I this is a personal question because I'm always interested um, when they show either like a. I mean, now with social media recently, you're able to kind of put in videos, uh, like a Twitter video in a broadcast. So this always interests me. Is this in your research? Let's just say, for example, obviously, um, I think it's Steve Nash is, is it, is it Steve Nash is RJ Barrett's godfather? He is. Right. So like, let's just say, I don't know, is this you like telling your producer and saying, hey. Let's get a picture of R.J. Barrett in his childhood, taking a picture with Steve Nash while he's yeah. in the NBA. Or is that your producer in a meeting before the game saying, hey, in the transition between the first and second quarter, we're going to show this clip? Like, how, how does that work?
2: Yeah, Josh, uh, glad you asked that. It, it is organic often, and it is collaborative. So my Nets producer, Frank DeGrace, I've worked with for over 20 years. We share a brain during these broadcasts. And the way he's thinking is often the way that I'm thinking. And there are a lot of checks and balances in there. He knows what I'm thinking. I know where he's going a lot of the time. And in that particular case, if it's something that I uncover in my notes prior, and I think it's something that we could have some fun with, yes, I'll alert him, a text, and then let him take care of it within our crew of getting the photo then he can decide the best time to use it. And there are times where he notices something in his prep. He'll text me, hey, heads up, I'm getting this. So you may want to do a little background. Yes, perfect, great. If you can prepare me and I can now go out and do my own homework, even better. If you want to write something up, which sometimes happens based on my schedule, hey, I decided to do this. I wrote something up, here you go. I check it out. And then when they pop it into the broadcast, I'm prepared for it. So it really is a codependent relationship once you get to that level where you really have a strong working dynamic with the people that you're doing these games with. NFL, I've now been with my producer, Mark Wolf, for almost eight years. So you build up a real trust and understanding. We have a conversation early in the week about some things that have already interested me in the matchup. And then he'll fill me in on what other ideas may have popped up. And I think what ends up happening on a really good television crew is you recognize and acknowledge that a good idea can come from anywhere. And everybody's got a voice. If you're the stat person, if you're the stage manager, if you're the audio person, if you're the graphics person, if you're in videotape, if you've got a good idea and you have a really good producer, then everybody feels encouraged to share. And the goal is to have a great broadcast and to provide entertainment and information and any way. That you can do it. Sometimes it's a circuitous route. It's not always direct. But if you can get there and get people something that they didn't know, or something to make them laugh, or something to uh, maybe tug at their heartstrings, then you've done your job. And I, I like to think, I hope the people that I work with know that that's my goal. And my goal every broadcast is to find a different angle and find a little something different. And everybody feels empowered to bring something to the table.
1: So this past uh, weekend, you called the Jets preseason game. um, And obviously there was that Hail Mary at the end with the two-point conversion to uh, tie the game there. So it's weird, right? Because it's preseason. So you can't get like too excited. You can't go too crazy. But then you also need to make it entertaining. Like how, how do you find the balance between that?
2: Yeah, Alex, for me, I have always viewed it as you've got to go out and deliver. That's your job. If you're a passive observer in the broadcasting role, then you're not doing the game justice. And I just know if I was at home watching, even in a preseason game, a last play of the game, that means nothing that eventually people will forget about. But if it would lift me out of my seat and make me jump up, then as an announcer, if I'm not conveying that, then I'm failing at my job. I'm supposed to be an extension of the audience in some way. I happen to have a microphone on and a headset and a pretty good view of the game. So I have to be genuine in the moment. And my genuine reaction, even in a game that meant very little, was it's a Hail Mary. And a Hail Mary is exciting, no matter what. So I called it, you know, did I call it like it was the Super Bowl? No. But did I give it a little extra oomph because it's pretty special? Yeah. And for James Morgan, it might be his greatest NFL highlight. We don't know in his career. You might look back on that thing and say, man, that's the best thing I ever did on an NFL field. Yeah, maybe Morgan eventually evolves and develops into something, but there's a chance that might be the high point for him.
0: Our final question for you. Um, once again, I feel like I'm just talking about myself now. Uh, it once again, <laughs> kind of comes back to me as like I'm starting to try, you know, calling games, um, you yeah. I've been doing NBA or I did do NBA. I haven't done really many over the summer because there haven't been uh, any NBA games besides the summer league. And I I tried it, you know, saying quote unquote, like I'm on radio and I listening back constantly hear myself saying too much, I I guess is the word I'm kind of rushing through. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, maybe I pull up a stat and then I miss something here or there that happens during the game. So you're on TV. So it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different story, but my question for you is how do you kind of navigate through calling an NBA game, knowing when to like, let it ride when there's three pointer after three pointer down the court or when to commentate the most and and kind of get everything in at once?
2: Yeah, I think this is often the biggest challenge for broadcasters, Josh, is striking that right balance on TV. Am I talking too much? Am I taking away from the action on radio? Am I talking enough or... Am I giving too much information? Am I overloading the listener? Think about a, a blank canvas. And if you started drawing a picture and you give it some texture and you go with the background and now you have something in the foreground. But if you just fill every little space with something and as an admirer of it, I might say, wow, there's a lot going on there. And that's the same as a radio broadcast. If it's too much, the listener can get overwhelmed. So finding the right amount of description is paramount to that job and how you use your voice and your pace. You know I've tried to tell young broadcasters, don't let the action dictate your pace. You're always in charge of your pace. So there might be a wild sequence as long as you keep your cool and keep describing it, you can remain under control and not allow whatever's happening on the field or the court or the ice to be too much for you and too much for the listener. I I think that's often the the biggest challenge for young broadcasters to figure out. And you don't want to get in the way. You're there to complement the action. You're there to enhance the experience. If you're getting in the way of the experience, then you're not doing your job correctly. So that's, that's really my, my 10 cent assessment of it, especially if you're starting out. Just remember, would I be interested in this if I was listening? And when you play back your play by play and you close your eyes, can I visualize what's happening on the radio? And does it interest me? Am I am I mesmerized by what this person is saying? Do I get lost in it? Or after a minute, do I say uh, too much, too much happening? I'm, I'm going to move on and, and listen to something else. So that requires a lot of self-assessment. And that's really important when you're starting out in the broadcasting industry.
0: Ian Eagle, thank you so, so much for joining us, Alex. And I really do appreciate it. You can... Uh, Stay in touch with, with all of Iron Eagles' work on CBS. And thank you for mentioning that because I did not mention it in the intro on Westwood One, Thursday Night Football as well. Uh, Brooklyn Nets on Yes Network and March Madness uh, during March on CBS as well. Thank you so much.
2: Josh, Alex, a pleasure. Good luck to your Giants. Uh, I know you're expecting big things. So hopefully, this is the season for Danny Dimes and company. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill.